it came upon the midnight clear that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their hearts of gold peace on the earth good will to men from hands a gracious king the world in solemn stillness lay to Welcome back to Miss John Z. John's. Thank you for joining me for story time today. Our first story is part two of The Tale of Mrs. Tiggy Winkle by Beatrix Potter, published by F. Warren and Company. Lucy knocked once, twice, and interrupted the song. A little frightened voice called out, Who's that? Lucy opened the door and what do you think there was inside the hill? A nice clean kitchen with a flagged floor and wooden beams, just like any other farm kitchen. Only the ceiling was so low that Lucy's head nearly touched it and the pots and pans were small. And so was everything there. There was a nice, hot, singy smell, and at the table, with an iron in her hand, stood a very stout, short person, staring anxiously at Lucy. Her print gown was tucked up, and she was wearing a large apron over her striped petticoat. Her little black nose went sniffle, sniffle, snuffle, (laughs) and her eyes went twinkle, twinkle. And underneath her cap, where Lucy had yellow curls, that little person had prickles. Who are you? said Lucy. Have you seen my pocket hankins? The little person made a bob curtsy. Oh, yes, if you please him. My name is Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Oh, yes, if you please him. I'm an excellent clear starcher. And she took something out of a clothes basket and spread it on the ironing blanket. What's that thing? said Lucy. That's not my pocket handkerchief. Oh no, if you please him, that's a little scarlet waistcoat belonging to Cock Robin. And she ironed it and folded it and put it on one side. Then she took something else off a clothes horse. That isn't my penny, said Lucy. Oh no, if you please him. That's a damask tablecloth belonging to Jenny Wren. Jenny Wren. Look how it's stained with currant wine. It's very bad to wash, said Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Mrs. Tiggywinkle's nose went sniffle, sniffle, snuffle. <laughs> and her eyes went twinkle, twinkle. And she fetched another hot iron from the fire. There's one of my pocket hankins cried Lucy, and there's my penny. 
Mrs. Tiggy Winkle ironed it and goffered it and shook out the frills. Oh, this is lovely, said Lucy. And what are those long yellow things with my fingers like gloves? Oh, that's a pair of stockings belonging to Sally Hinny Penny. Look how she's worn the heels out with scratching in the yard. She'll very soon go barefoot, said Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. Why, there's another handkersniff. But it isn't mine. It's red. Oh, no, if you please him, that one belongs to old Mrs. Rabbit. And it did so smell of onions. I've had to wash it separately. I can't get out the smell. There's another one of mine, said Lucy. What are those funny little white things? That's a pair of mittens belonging to a cabby, tabby kitten. I only have to iron them. She washes them herself. There's my last pocket hankin, said Lucy. And what are you dipping into the basin of starch? They're little dicky shirt fronts belonging to Tom Titmouse. Most terrible particular, said Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. Now I've finished my ironing. I'm going to air some clothes. What are these dear soft fluffy things, said Lucy. Oh, those are woolly coats belonging to the little lambs of Skelgill. Will their jackets take off? asked Lucy. Oh, yes, if you please him. Look at the sheep mark on the shoulder. And here's one marked for Gatesgarth, and three that come from Littletown. They're always marked at washing, said Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. And she hung up all sorts of sizes of clothes, small brown coats of mice, and one velvety black moleskin waistcoat, and a red tail coat with no tail belonging to Squirrel Nutkin, and a very much shrunk blue jacket belonging to Peter Rabbit, and a petticoat not marked that had gone lost in the washing, and at last the basket was empty. And that is part two of the tale of Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. I am sure you have most likely heard the next story and I just I I love reading it it's it's so fun have you heard of the story we're going on a bear hunt we're going on a bear hunt retold by Michael Rosen and illustrated by Helen Oxenbury Margaret K. McElderry Books. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, oh, grass. Long, wavy grass. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no. We've got to go through it. Swishy, 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 swishy. We're going on a bear 
hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, a river, a deep, cold river. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. Splash, 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 splash. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, oh mud, thick oozy mud. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, Oh, a forest, a big dark forest. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. Stumble trip, stumble trip, stumble trip. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, oh. A snowstorm? A swirling, whirling snowstorm. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no. We've got to go through it. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, oh, a cave. Mm, a narrow, gloomy cave. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. Tip, 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 toe, tip, toe. Oh, what's that one shiny wet nose two furry big ears two big goggly eyes hey it's a bear quick back through the cage back through the snowstorm back through the forest Back through the mud. Back through the river. Back through the grass. Get to our front door. Open the door. Up the stairs. Oh no, we forgot to shut the door. Back down the stairs. Shut the door. Back up the stairs. Into the bedroom. Into the bed. Under the covers. We are not going on a bear hunt. Again. We're going on a bear hunt. Retold by Michael Rosen and illustrated by Helen Oxenbury. And now, the year of the perfect Christmas tree, part three, to the very end of the story. Tucking Ruthie into her little bed, 
Mama whispered, The folk shall have their Christmas tree, and you shall be the heavenly angel this year. Ruthie fell fast asleep, but Mama sat long by the firelight, sewing as fast as her nimble fingers could move. First, she cut the ribbons and lace from the wedding dress, the color of cream. From it, she fashioned a smaller dress with flowing sleeves. Then she took a soft silk stocking and stuffed it with lamb's wool and stroked it until it was smooth and round. And she embroidered it with two blue eyes, little black curls, and a dimple in each cheek. And from the scraps of Ruthie's dress, she made a tiny dress just like it, all trimmed with ribbons and lace. And she dressed the stocking doll in the tiny dress. The sun was high in the winter sky when a knock came at the door. Good Christmas Eve, Preacher Alice, Mama said. Do come in and spell yourself. Did you hear the news about the Christmas tree? The preacher said. A wondrous balsam from up the high crags was found on the belfry porch this morning. Do tell, do tell. What a wonder, said Mama. That's not all. It's being told hereabouts that folks who live up in the holler Heard the angels singing high up on the ridge late into the night, and they were singing Christmas songs, said Preacher Alice. Ruthie hid her face in Mama's patchwork quilt so the preacher would not hear her laugh. Daylight was fading when Mama helped Ruthie into the prettiest dress Ruthie had ever seen. It was made of softest silk, the color of cream, all trimmed with ribbons and lace. It had long flowing sleeves. If you hold your arms just so, said Mama, it will look like you have wings. At the church, the ladies of the valley had decorated the perfect balsam Christmas tree. Reflections of the tiny red candles in their shiny holders fastened to the tips of the branches shone in the windows. Tied to the lower branches of the tree were presents wrapped in pretty paper. On the tip, tip, top was a tiny angel. The sexton rang the bell. From up and down the river road and from all the hills and hollers, the folk were coming to celebrate the Christmas tree. A choir of children sat by the organ. The three kings waited outside the belfry door. Behind the bedsheet curtains, Mama helped the little Mary put her doll bed to bed in the manger straw. Ruthie climbed up and stood on the preacher's big chair. The ladies pushed the bedsheet curtains back. Ruthie could see herself in the dark church windows. She was careful to hold her arms just so in her beautiful dress. It looked as if she had wings. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, said Ruthie, the heavenly angel. When the program was over, Ruthie went to sit with Mama on the front pew. Mama held her close. Then the three kings came walking down the aisle, carrying lard pails filled with the Christmas tree pokes. Each bag contained a soft peppermint stick, some chocolate drops, an orange and some hazelnuts. And behind the kings walked old St. Nicholas, and he carried his toe-sack goodie bag with him. Old St. Nick visited the Amen corner first. He gave each of the deacons a lump of coal or a willow switch, and the folk in the church laughed. Then to all the children who had misbehaved 
old Saint Nick gave a willow switch or a lump of coal as well. Ruthie happened good that year, so she got a treat poke instead. At last, it was time to call the names on the presents tied to the tree. Every child in the church received a present. Everyone, that is, except Ruthie. A tear slipped down into the dimple in her cheek. Then one of the kings reached to the tip-tip-top of the perfect balsam Christmas tree, and he lifted the tiny angel down. Why, Ruthie, said old Saint Nick, this angel looks just like you. And it did. The tiny angel was wearing a dress just like Ruthie's. It was made of the softest silk, the color of cream. It was trimmed with ribbons and lace. The sleeves were long and flowing and looked as if she had wings. The angel's curls were as black as coal and she had a dimple in each cheek. Ruthie hugged the tiny angel and kissed its silky cheek, which felt just like the silk stockings Papa had sent to Mama. The preachers had said the benediction and St. Nicholas wished to one and all a happy Christmas. Slowly, the people began to leave the church, and Mama and Ruthie walked out the belfry door. St. Nicholas was standing there. A man in an army uniform stood beside him. And here is another present for you, Ruthie, said St. Nicholas. But Ruthie was so busy looking at the tiny angel that she did not notice until strong arms picked her up. Let me look at you, my pretty young'un said Papa's voice, and he hugged Ruthie, Mama, and the tiny angel all at the same time. The village folk gathered around the church steps. Someone from the village began to sing, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is The folk in the village joined in, but Papa, Mama, Ruthie, and the tiny angel hardly heard. They just hugged each other for some more. And since that time, every year, for more than 60 years, a tiny angel has stood on top of a perfect balsam Christmas tree. She wears a dress of softest silk, the color of cream, all trimmed with ribbons and lace. The sleeves are long and flowing, and it looks as if she has wings. The angel has coal black curls and a dimple in each cheek. That's how it happened. The Christmas of the heavenly angel and the perfect balsam Christmas tree. Grandma Ruthie told me so. Thank you so much for joining me again for Miss John C. Johnson. I truly hope you're enjoying each of the stories. I have much more to come and um, I'm delighted to have you. Take care.